0: to the front on your smart speaker every morning to hear the latest episode just say play the news from the australian from the australian here's what's on the front i'm claire harvey it's tuesday february 6. king charles ii has been diagnosed with cancer buckingham palace revealed this morning A statement from the royal family said the cancer was discovered during a recent prostate operation, but they're calling it a separate matter of concern. The King, who is 75, has postponed his public-facing duties on the advice of his doctors and has already begun treatment as an outpatient. Prince Harry has reportedly spoken to his father and will travel to the UK to see him in coming days. The palace said Charles will continue to undertake state business and official paperwork as usual and has chosen to share his diagnosis to prevent speculation and in the hope it may assist public understanding for all those around the world who are affected by cancer. Australia is taking on the streaming giants Netflix, Disney Plus and Amazon and it's all about how much Australian content they should have to air. In a moment, inside the battle to tell Australian stories on screen. for the 10-day retreat, US 2.0? I certainly am. In the lush Australian rainforest, an exquisite and incredibly expensive adaptation of an Australian novel, Liane Moriarty's Nine Perfect Strangers, was Prime Video's blockbuster of 2022. It was also the series that saved the Australian film industry during COVID lockdown. When star and producer Nicole Kidman, along with her collaborators, poured their own money into the health and security infrastructure needed to keep the production going. You want to get well? You want to heal? Surrender yourself to me. I am going to fix you. Hundreds of jobs for local crews and actors, bringing an Australian story to life. But under the federal government's proposed new Australian content rules, Nine Perfect Strangers wouldn't qualify as a local production.
1: Because there's a very narrow definition of what qualifies as Australian content or Australian drama, and the clincher is it has to be under the complete creative control of Australians
0: Jared Lynch is the Australian's technology editor.
1: So, if you've got a foreign production company coming in, it doesn't matter if it's based on the work of an Australian author, it has an Australian cast, it's filmed in Australia. If the money's coming from overseas and they're the ones making the decisions, uh uh, it doesn't qualify.
0: The global streaming giants like Amazon, Disney, and Netflix are facing new local content quotas which would require them to spend up to 20% of the revenue generated in Australia on local productions. The Albanese government has asked for submissions on its plan and the streamers have indicated they're not happy.
1: So having this, I guess, onerous obligation in what is relatively a small market of Australia, you can understand why they're not happy. But there's some legitimate claims that they have too. One argument they have is it'll drive up production costs. Which Free TV Australia, which represents the commercial broadcasters, has also said that is likely to happen. Basically, because our production talent is at capacity. When you have tight supply and demand grows, which it probably will under these content quotas, then that rises up the costs. Just like getting a the tradie, there's only a few tradies to go around, and there's a lot of people who want a job done. Then they're going to pick the ones that pay the more money.
0: In the 1980s and 90s, audiences went wild for a new form of TV storytelling, the Australian miniseries. It's where a young Nicole Kidman hit the big time in 1987's Vietnam and 1989's Bangkok Hilton. Sit down, please. When am I going to be released? Sit down. Do exactly as you're told. Sit down! It was an era when Australians were letting go of their cultural cringe and hungry for homegrown stories exploring our own history. And beginning in the 70s, the federal government actively subsidised Australian productions and policed a local content quota that forced broadcasters to air them. And audiences loved it. Historical stories like A Town Like Alice, A Fortunate Life, The Cowra Breakout and Bodyline – which focused on the English cricket team's 1930s Ashes Tour of Australia, where they devised a brutal form of bowling to neutralise superstar batsman Don Bradman. It featured a young Hugo Weaving as England captain Douglas Jardine.
1: I don't appreciate being called a bastard. Fair enough. Which one of you bastards call this bastard a bastard?
0: Jared Do you remember any of those? Any of them familiar memories for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, looking back then, it was almost like mini Hollywood here in Australia. Like you didn't think of them as TV series at all. They were very cinematic and it seems like you could take your pick. Like on any given night, there was something that was captivating to watch, whereas now we don't really have that, which I think you can understand why the government has released what they call their national cultural policy to sort of Reignite those Australian stories on the screens because if we don't see our own stories reflected on the screen and we see another culture, then what is Australian culture?
0: So is this about fear of cannibalisation of Australian stories that if we don't actively fund them and create the rules that force companies to air them, that they'll stop existing altogether?
1: Definitely, because the commercial broadcasters, they have content quotas. 55% of their content between 6 o'clock in the morning and midnight has to be Australian content. Now, that covers the gamut of drama, news, documentaries, et cetera, but it has to be new Australian content. But how many of us watch those commercial channels anymore? I know at my house, we don't have a coaxial cable connected. It's all streaming. And during the pandemic, that just exploded. The number of streaming operators that came to market made people realize, I can now watch whatever I want on demand. But as a consequence of that, we're not seeing that Australian content be shown on our screens anymore. Instead, we can choose content from Denmark, England, America, Korea, you name it, at the click of a button.
0: Now, there seems to be an assumption from these big streamers that Australian shows just aren't going to be popular enough to justify their investment. Why do you think that's the case? Why are they fighting so hard?
1: Well, you could argue back in the 80s that the Holden Commodore or Gemini, I don't know what your first car was, Claire, or the Ford (laughs) Falcon were widely popular, but how many do you see on our roads now? Both Ford and Holden got caught out because they were making cars that were no longer fit for purpose. The market had moved on, they failed to catch up. And that's the risk, like in any market. If you're not producing content that Australians not only want to consume, but a global audience wants to consume, then you're just going to wither on the vine. And I think that's where Australia probably needs to sort of put a line in the sand there and start really marketing our stories globally again. I saw um, an interview recently with George Harrison that was from the 1980s saying that he saw Paul Hogan in LA but it was afraid to go up on him because he goes, you know, I know what it was like being famous, having people come up to me. But how many people would do that to an Australian actor now? They might do it to Margot Robbie but only because she's got fame from being in American movies. So I think there's a real opportunity here to market Australian stories more to a global audience, which is exactly what smaller countries like Denmark have done.
0: Coming up, if Bluey can conquer the world, why not Australian TV shows for grown-ups? A troubled young woman. Her evil parents... When it hit theatres in 1997, The Castle was an instant classic.
1: As a real estate agent said, location, 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 and we're right next door to the airport.
0: Its quotability has made the film an Australian cultural mainstay for almost three decades.
1: In summing up, it's the Constitution, it's Mabo, it's justice, it's law, it's the vibe, and... Uh, no, that's it, it's the vibe. What's he asking? One fifty. Tell him he's dreaming. How's the serenity? So much serenity.
0: But when its creators took the castle to audiences beyond our shores, the reception was mixed. Film executives in the US ordered tweaks to make it more palatable for Americans in particular. Rissoles became meatloaf. Expletives were awkwardly obscured by airport commotion. References to Hey Hey It's Saturday were cut completely. Kath and Kim suffered a similar fate in the US, where a remake starring Molly Shannon and Selma Blair was cut short after it failed to draw viewers. Fast forward 25 years and global TV audiences were suddenly learning about Eshays from Netflix's rebooted teen soap Heartbreak High. Darren wants Cash's Esche, baby!
1: Shut the f*** up, spider!
0: Parents in the US puzzled as kids picked up the lingo for keepy-uppy and bin day from Bluey.
1: I'm sorry, but who else's American child is out here speaking in an Australian accent? And now every Wednesday, I have to get the tiny human up extra early so she can take out the bins with me. It
0: was as if we'd finally decided to back ourselves in and take Australian culture to the world as it is. And it worked. The goal of the government's Australian content quota is to put Australian stories in front of Australian audiences. But there's value in sharing those stories with a global audience too. The TV adaptation of Leanne Moriarty's novel Apples Never Fall, which will begin production in Queensland in March, is expected to inject close to $80 million into the local economy. Every new production creates hundreds of jobs too. It's understandable that the streamers aren't keen for expensive new rules, but Free TV Australia, which represents the nation's commercial broadcasters, also isn't keen.
1: Drama is very expensive to produce, and they're concerned that if there is competition to create that content, then that'll increase production costs which means, if commercial broadcasters have to pay more for that, then you could imagine that many of them would have to question their viability. I mean, already we've seen Ten be sold to overseas interests, so there is that real hard economics at play here, and that's what they're trying to protect. They want to have a drama that's still at a reasonable cost to produce, and not anything that could be seen as inflating that, because we all know how bad inflation is once it gets out of control.
0: The streamers say they're also concerned the new rules could breach Australia's free trade agreement with the United States.
1: Basically, the free trade agreement, it was struck in 2005 and there's myriad clauses, as you'd expect, in an agreement of this scale. But essentially what free trade boils down to is, is ensuring trade is done freely, not necessarily for free, but done freely without any unnecessary red tape or regulation that could stifle that. And in the American Australia Free Trade Agreement, there is a clause about not discriminating US companies based on source of origin, which essentially is what Australian content is, right? So if you're forcing them to spend more on Australian content, then you could argue that is discriminating a US business. Of course, the government is free to break that provision if they can show there is a market failure at play that causes them to act. And the streamers are arguing, well, no, this condition isn't remotely close to being met because they're citing Screen Australia data, which shows that between 2022 and 2023, there was $2.34 billion spent on drama for Australian productions. Off that, $1.22 came from foreign providers, which they say is a 31% increase from the five-year average. So basically they're saying, well, there's no market failure at play. $1.3 billion is a lot of coin. So the system is working. Why do you need to intervene to fix it?
0: Similar quotas were introduced in Canada in 2022, and there are lessons to be learned there. Jared, how's that gone?
1: Well, not very well when you consider The Handmaid's Tale, which is a hit series not only in Canada and the US and, and here. Margaret Atwood, she's a Canadian. She wrote the novel on which it's based. It was filmed largely in Canada, but under its new rules, which, similar to Australia, have a very narrow definition of what constitutes local drama, it doesn't qualify. Now, how does that make sense? You tell me. So,
0: Jared, what's the solution? How do governments get around these kinds of weird situations with The Handmaid's Tale?
1: Well, they need to have a look at a whole ecosystem, which increasingly is a global ecosystem. So creative control isn't just in Australia anymore. It can be overseas. Like There are so many Australian people who work in the film and television production space that have sadly left our shores. There is talent out there globally. So now we've got to look at, okay, how can we tap into that network to tell our Australian stories? So What the government needs to do, in my view, is to create more incentives to bring production here, be a little bit agnostic about where the money comes from. As long as there is an Australian producer or Australians high up that have got a seat at the table when it comes to producing Australian stories, then why should it matter if the funding is coming from overseas? We're a global economy now and we've got to start acting like it.
0: Jared Lynch is The Australian's technology editor. Thanks for joining us on The Front. Every day at The Australian, we have the nation's most comprehensive coverage of books, TV, music, film, the arts, and, of course, tech. And you can read all about it at theaustralian.com.au. Another one being shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray.
1: Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.